hear. But until we had the problems within the church and the breakup, of the breakup, of the splitting, the dividing, uh, all those things that God is against, uh, I didn't pay any attention to those fasts in Jeremiah. I mean, in uh, Zechariah. I thought they were. I guess I just reconciled them to being Jewish or whatever, and didn't realize they had to do with us. But now that we've had the trouble in the church, I see how clearly they fit and why God tells us there that we should be here in the end time keeping those fasts as a reminder of what we are going through. It didn't mean much until the church began to break up. But the first one, which is what we come up with, uh, the first in the cycle is this fast of the 10th month in January on January 1st this year. And it is when the siege against Jerusalem began. The next feast is the capture of Jerusalem, fast, not feast yet. And then the third one is the burning of the temple. And the fourth one is the death and dearth of leadership when Gedaliah was killed. So, we had a siege start against the church in January of uh, 79 when the state of California came in and attacked the church and tried to take it over, and in effect, in many respects, did take it over for a while. That was to be followed by the capture of Jerusalem by the Tkachas after Herbert Armstrong died, uh, and the temple has been, the church has been pretty much destroyed. And we have had a dearth of leadership since Herbert Armstrong died, and no one that we can all look to uh, that everyone is willing to. So it fits very beautifully, really, with what has happened. Uh, January has been quite an interesting time in modern church history. Uh, Many good events happened, such as the beginning of the plain truth and, and so on. And then we've had some bad events. But January, in that respect, in terms of church history, has probably been the most eventful for good and bad throughout the history of the modern era of the church. I didn't stop to count it up, but I think it has a whole lot more things happen in January than did in June, or pick another month. And January is what you often come back to. I find it interesting that uh, it falls this year on the 1st of January, just at the beginning of the month. There are some events that happened around the 1st of January uh, that I'll not go into, but are part of, I think, the end time Church of God. Uh, and we'll see how that plays out. But we in this little group here have had a lot of things happen in January as well. We divided this land up uh, in January so people could take uh, possession in that sense to build their homes and so on. So a lot has happened, and perhaps more will. And we see a world today very, very much on edge and entering a very, very dangerous time. So whether some of that begins next month and through the rest of the year, we'll see. But uh, suffice it to say that these fasts are very important. 
and they have a very deep meaning for you and me as we go through what we have been going through. So that comes this year on this coming Thursday. The siege of Jerusalem began. And it was in January again that they attacked the church for the state of California. So that siege began in January as well. So let's leave that behind and go on to the subject of the day. I was going to do this in one sermon, but I think it's going to stretch out into a few uh, because of the many ramifications of it. When children begin to think as they're growing up about their family, their parents, and the fact that they might themselves someday have a husband or a wife, a mate, they begin to put things together in their minds of what kind of mate they might like to have. They perhaps first consider their parents and the marriage that they see there interacting day by day. And uh, some girls grow up with a very high opinion of their father and want to meet a man like Dad someday. And boys, I don't know whether they want to meet Mom or not. Uh, some of them never grow up and leave Mom behind, it seems. But uh, in their own minds, even fairly early, people begin to think about marriage someday and having their own family. And as they do so, they begin to develop a want list. The one I marry must be this, 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 and that. And this is what I'm after. This is what I want. Sometimes we've talked about teenage girls and how their want list can change almost momentarily. Uh, you know, they have this in mind because they saw him, and then they go to the mall and they see him, and suddenly the want list can change. So it takes a while for us to grow to the maturity that we have a definite list that doesn't change all the time and that includes certain things. And as we mature, we begin to solidify that list into musts. This individual I want to marry must have these qualities. These are non-negotiable. Got to be this, 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 and that. Then you have a list, not of musts, but of wants. I might not get everything I want, but here are some more things I want down below the must-have. And then below that, you have the maybes and the compromises begin to come in. Uh, looking at the selection that's out there, you begin to think, well, you know, this is must-have, this is what I want, and Here's something I might settle for. And then below that, you, can ha you have the I can fix it category. May not be what I want exactly, but I think I can fix it. Good luck, sister or brother. Uh, maybe you can, maybe you can't. That's a very difficult thing. And then somewhere down there, I may not have gotten all the categories, but somewhere down there around number five is... No way, I'd rather stay single. <laughs> if I can't get anything in the first four, uh, number five, just forget it. 
So it's kind of a process we go through, and hopefully, as human beings, we can find somebody that we can live with relatively happy and and have a, a decent relationship. But to start this series out, I want to discuss, first of all, the potential bridegroom that you and I have ahead of us. This potential bridegroom has all the musts. He doesn't have any of the maybes. He doesn't have any of the I can fix it. And he doesn't have any of the I'll just stay single. Let's examine the one who has proposed to be the bridegroom for the wife that the Bible describes. Now, if we read the romantic stories as children, we are looking for a knight in shining armor to come below the castle on his white horse, and we'll either trail down by our hair or by the sheets or just jump and he'll catch us or whatever, and ride off with a knight in shining army, army armor to a blissful world and live happily ever after. Let's go to Exodus 15 for a moment. Here, Christ, who was the one doing the work under the auspices of the Father, had just brought them through the Red Sea. He had delivered them from slavery. Uh, Maybe that girl in the castle uh, was living under very poor circumstances had a mean stepmother or whatever as the fairy stories go. So her life was miserable and unfulfilled and frustrated, and then along came the knight in shining armor. So, in verse 2 it says, The Lord is my strength and song. The one they write songs about. If I were a young lady wanting the husband I wanted... I would find songs, perhaps, that people have written, or write songs myself about the husband I wanted to have. So here you have someone who delivered them, and they were writing songs about them. It was legendary already, just after crossing the sea. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So... Nothing but love and desire and willingness and helpfulness looking to this hero who had just delivered them. Verse 9, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So in most fairy stories you have the evil side of the one who is vying for the attention of the princess bride, uh, who is being taken by her knight in shining armor. So there will be a fight that will ensue of various proportions until the good guy wins. Kind of an interesting story here in that light, isn't it? Verse 11, Who is like to you, O Lord, among the gods? Reminds me of the Song of Solomon. My Husband or husband-to-be is the fairest of all, the most powerful, the strongest, the greatest. Who is like you? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, 
fearful in praises, doing wonders. My man of miracles. Verse 15, the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, the mighty men at Moab, trembling shall take hold all them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Verse 17, you shall bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O eternal, which you have made for you to dwell in, in the sanctuary, which we know to be Zion, where he will reign forevermore, and Zion will be his abode. So here we have the knight in shining armor taking them off and setting them in a far land, a land of promise. Let's go to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise you the Eternal. I will praise the Eternal with my whole heart. Fully, totally, completely in love. Wholehearted in her concern and worship of this being. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the eternal are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. So this man is a man who does things. He's not an inactive drone, but he's busy doing and has great works, wonderful miracles, quite a reputation, a successful being in other words. Every girl wants a successful man to be married to. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Eternal is gracious and full of compassion. So he's kind and grace, full of grace. He has compassion. He's got that sensitive side that women so often these days are looking for. They don't want just somebody who can beat his chest and uh, thunder how great he is, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, in other words, but here's a man who has sensitivity to him. He has given meat to them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenants. So if he makes promises, he will never forget them. Once he makes a promise, you can count on it. Human men, ladies, will often let you down. And they can't live up to all the promises that they make. They may intend to, but they don't have the capacity as human beings to be everything you want them to be or that they want to be. But here you have a being who is offering us marriage who never forgets his promises. He has showed his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. He was going to take away the promised land from the Canaanites and other tribes who dwell there and give them back to Israel, as he did in the days of Joshua after they wandered for 40 years. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. He's not mealy-mouthed. He's not wishy-washy. His yes means yes, and his no means no, and you can count on it. What a man. I use man figuratively. He's not a man at this point, but uh, he was at one time. And even then, he never did wrong. It's funny, you know. If you were Emmanuel himself, you could do no right. He came to this earth and did no wrong. The only being who's ever walked this earth 
and never sinned, never did anything wrong, had no faults, no flaws, and yet he was condemned continually as a glutton and as a wine bibber. So it doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) If you're Christ himself, as far as human beings are, you're faulted to the core. No one can stand up to the judgment of human beings. Sad but true. But everything he does is done in truth and uprightness. Verse 9, he sent redemption to his people, redeemed them from slavery. Uh, And we need redeemed from the slavery of Satan's world and the system that we are under today. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Here is a husband-to-be that you can actually reverence. You can't do that with a human, because we no human is worthy of reverence. But this one is. Verse 10, The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. So to stand in awe of the Creator of the universe, and to have fear of Him deeply embedded in our minds, is where wisdom starts. So that whatever he says, we are willing to comply with and do, because he's a husband who never makes mistakes. Never makes mistakes, even though people thought he did when he was here. His commandments and his praise endure forever. You know, we can praise a human being as we lead up to marriage and maybe for some time after. But some of those things that you may, through misty eyes have or rose-colored glasses, looked over in the bloom of love, you find aren't quite as great as they were. And sometimes the one that you put on the pedestal gets taken down a notch or two or five as life and its storms and buffeting occur. So a human being cannot remain praiseworthy forever. Flaws will be found because there always are some. It just You can't get away from it. It's just the way it is. So, we find someone that we can dwell with and dwell with in relative peace and happiness, but we will never find perfection with a human being on this earth. But his praise endures forever and forevermore. Now, I want to go next to John 14, and see some of the things that this knight in shining armor has promised us. We read through these chapters of John at Passover, but I want to approach it from a little bit different viewpoint today of a prospective husband and what he is saying that he will do, the promises he will make to his wife-to-be. So let's pick it up in John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So the first thing he's saying is, you can trust me. You can trust me. If I tell you something, you can believe it. You can count on it. In my Father's house are many mansions can be translated perhaps positions, but let's roll with mansions for the moment. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So the first thing he, pre- he promises is a place for his new bride. And that is often one of the first things that a male will try to entice a prospective bride with on this earth is a home. I remember the movie How the West Was Won, oh, back in the 60s. And he was talking about how he would build her a home in the meadow. Or perhaps your desire is a little cottage with a picket fence. Or maybe it's a palatial mansion. I don't know. It depends upon the dreams that you have as you grow up about where you would like to live and what you would like to have. So he promised that he would prepare a place... Now, we could go from here to Revelation 21. I'm not going to do it for sake of time. But he promises streets of gold. He promises gates of pearls. He promises decorations of gemstones. And the most beautiful city and home you could possibly dream of. If you really examine Revelation 21, no girl has ever dreamed of the quality of home that Christ has gone off to prepare for us and to bring back to us. So it's beyond your wildest imagination. The only way you could even begun to reach the level of Revelation 21 is go back and read it and then think about it. It's the only way. Because the human heart could not imagine what God describes there. So when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you can believe it, and you can see the evidence and the witness of that in Revelation 21. Let's go to verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now, Christ, while he was here on this earth, healed the sick, raised the dead, turned water into wine, did many, many miracles on the face of the earth. And right here, he promises his prospective bride in the presence of these apostles who would help raise up that bride after his death and departure. So he's promising his bride-to-be that she will do greater things than he did while he was on this earth. A lot of times human beings wish they could heal, they wish they could help. They lose a loved one and they even wish they could resurrect. They wish they didn't have to bury them. They wish that this could go on. But it's beyond our human capacity and ability to cause those things to happen. But he promises to resurrect our loved ones. He promises us that we will do greater works than he did when he was on this earth. So when he comes to claim his bride and lines her out in her job, he is going to give her the capacity to restore, to revive, to heal, to help, to solve domestic problems, to stop crime and criminality, and to bring peace upon the earth. 
there was a movie a while back that they were I can't even think of the name of it right it'll come in a minute but they had this Miss World or whatever it was or Miss USA contest and they made a parody of how each one of the contestants would come out and talk about the things she dreamed of and they all had to say peace on earth as the main thing that uh, they were looking for. And we all know peace on earth under present conditions is impossible. With Satan around and human nature as it is, it's impossible. But he promises you and me that if he makes us the bride, we will do things greater than he did here on this earth. Now that's quite a promise. You will have power beyond your imagination if you marry this being. To do good, to do good works. Mother Teresa will look like a pauper compared to you. Verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Anything that is within the scope of his law, his will, his way, anything you ask will be done. Where can you find a man that can promise that and give it? There were songs about that. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. Whatever she desires, she can have. What a husband to give you anything you want, so long as it isn't bizarre and illegal. So far, we haven't got out of must-have, have we at all? Not even close. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, he said he would send, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees it not, neither knows it, but you know it, for it dwells with you and shall be in you, and it is there as a comforter. So he says, when I'm away on a trip, which he is now, he would send a comforter that we could call on to give us comfort and solace and help in time of need. And humanity and living on this earth is a time of need, no matter who you are and where you are. But he promised help, that even when he was gone, we would receive the help we need to accomplish what we need. What a gift. Matthew 7. Keep your finger here if you would. Matthew 7, verse 11. Speaking of men and their own physical children who go to their father and ask for food, who ask for shelter, who ask for warmth. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So not only do you have a husband-to-be, who will give you anything you ask for, anything you want, you have a very loving father-in-law who has no fault whatsoever either. Perfect family. Absolute perfection. Don't have to worry about the in-laws. They're there for your good. Back to John 14. Let's go down to verse 
23. Emmanuel answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So the Father and the Son are moving in. They're coming down. They're going to live with us, make their abode with us. In that beautiful city that's described in Revelation 21, and it says you won't even need the sun or moon because they'll light it up like no room has ever been lighted up. Their glory will be all the light we will need. So he'll dwell with us. And other scriptures indicate forevermore. Live happily ever after. No death, no pain, no sorrow. He is able to give us those things. So that we have complete fulfillment. Nothing lacking. Let's go to chapter 15. I think here I want 13 first. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This husband-to-be has laid down his life, gave it up voluntarily for you. How many prospective mates would there be on this earth who would die for you, who would give their life that you might live? There is the ultimate sacrifice. Fortunately, this one was able to come back to life, be resurrected by his father, and remain. So he's making a promise here that his life will count for ours. And that the death that we as human beings would ultimately suffer, eternal death, will be removed and eternal life be given in place of it. Now there's a friend. Let's look at verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. So not only is he a perfect husband, but as many people have said it, speaking of their mate, they're also my best friend. Your lover, your mate, and also your best friend all rolled into one. What more could you ask? Chapter 17. Oh, wait a minute. Is that where I wanted to go next? Let me see here. Yeah, 17. Uh, verse 2. As you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So, your husband will have all power over all human beings. He will have the capacity to make a judgment, to give people life eternal, never to lose it. Now, that's some kind of power. I defy you to find someone like that walking around on two legs on this earth. This is not beyond the realm of reality, brethren. 
This is what is being promised to you and me. This is the kind of mate that is available to us. Let's see, verse, uh, verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Here's a man of action. Someone who goes out to do something and accomplishes it. He doesn't give up. He didn't procrastinate. He went about what he had been sent here to do with firm purpose and commitment and the totality of his being and accomplished what he had been sent to do. And the only one he lost, Judas, was the one that had been preordained to be lost. The rest he was able to save. Now there's a man of great accomplishment. Verse uh, 8. For I have given to them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. So he was sent by his father to find a bride, to begin establishing her, primarily in the early New Testament church, and here at the close of the age, where most of the candidates for the bride have been raised up, set aside, and sanctified for that purpose to be prepared when he returns. A few from the Old Testament are really an aberration, but most of it has been with the New Covenant. So he set up this whole system to prepare a bride for this great being, to live together in peace and happiness throughout eternity. Verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So, he is going to go to the other side of the tracks and pick out individuals that he will separate out, that he will begin to work with, and his ultimate goal is that they be like kind, just like the Father and the Son. No difference. Upgrade her to God. Now there's the greatest promise of all right there. To bring us to be the bride of Christ and to be worshipped as God by the rest of the people on the earth during the millennium and the great white throne judgment. What a queen. What a promise. What a hope. To be queen of the universe. It's what he's promising, to be one with him. Got just a few more here, verse 13. And now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The Father and the Son are full of joy. That's one of the things that we would like to have. Joy in my heart, they sing. We'd like to be joyful. We like it when we're happy, when things are going well. And he promises us that we will be full of joy through all eternity. Never another tear, never another suffering, no death, no loss, no frustration, no insecurity, 
We'll have everything we want. No man has ever been able to give a young lady that. He might feed her. He might house her. She might be happy with him. But this kind of unspeakable joy forevermore, it's just unavailable. It's just not there. Everybody on this earth falls short of that. We can have a modicum of success, perhaps, as humans, but it doesn't go to these extremes. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. We talk or read all through the Bible about the glory of God. Many, many, many hundreds of passages talk about the various types of glory that God has. And we worship and reverence and admire Him and remind Him of His great glory that He has. And now He said He's going to give it to us. So that we might have the glory that the Father and the Son have. That we be a glorious bride to His Son. That's a pretty good promise. Uh, Verse 26. And I have declared to them your name. Dad, this is the one I want to marry. I've declared your name to my father. And And will declare it. I'll keep on declaring it. That the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The greatest love in the universe is that between the Father and the Son. And he said he will share that love with us and that we will love him in the same way that they love each other. Deep, true, abiding love that is beyond our capacity to even imagine. I never really looked at these few chapters here in quite that light before, I don't think. But there's an awful lot there. Now let's go to Hebrews. Let's look at a little more must-have here. Hebrews 4, I think, is the first one I want. And uh, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's not the one I wanted. It's what I wrote. It's not what I wanted. Uh, Go to 9.28. We'll find something here I wanted. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and of them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation. That says essentially what I was looking for in the other one. But here was a sinless being who never sinned. Oh, it was, I I remember now what it was. It says he was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet never sinned. And this says he'll come without sin. So here's a man who walked the earth and never made a mistake, never sinned, never did anything wrong in that whole time. Now, he was tempted, but we need to understand temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Do we understand that? As human beings, we will be tempted in every way that can happen. And he, while he walked the earth, a man full of drive and purpose and energy and power, 
could have had anything basically on the earth he wanted. And Satan offered him everything, including rulership of the world. Which at that time he turned down because it was being offered by the wrong being who would not always be there to offer it. But nothing has ever beset you that, not, that did not beset him. The only difference is he never gave in. Not once. What an incredible example he is. You've not, any of you, found on this earth anyone near that category. Who's never made a mistake and never sinned. Wow. But he's offering himself to you and me. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Let's see some of the characteristics of his personality. I mean, a girl wants a man with a personality, doesn't she? And she'd like that personality to be the kind of personality that she has thought of. Ephesians 5. Um, excuse me, Galatians. Galatians 5 is the one I'm after. Verse 22. It is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that we desire. Now here are his attributes, or at least a, a good start on them. The fruit of the Spirit of God is what we're discussing here. First thing that's mentioned is love. Paul said in one place that there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So that is the greatest thing he has because he has the greatest love in the universe. His spirit is a spirit of joy, of happiness. Now, while he was on the earth, he was a man of sorrows much of the time because he saw the evil and the degradation and the garbage that was all around him. And it made him sorrowful. But he is going to elevate us and the world around us to a world that is full of peace and happiness and joy. So that there's no more sorrow. That was one of the promises in Revelation. No more sorrow. So though he was a man of sorrow for a time, he is not today, other than he still feels a certain sorrow for us because we're the same mess we are were when he was here. But that's going to get resolved. That's going to get fixed. And he will have no need for sorrow any further, but of joy. And peace. He's peaceful. He doesn't rattle people's cages. He makes peace. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Not the dividers, not the conquerors, not the negativity, but peacemakers. That's whom he looks to, and that's what he is. Long-suffering. He's willing to suffer long for us. And we put him through it, don't we? We certainly do. But he is full of long-suffering. Gentleness. He's not in your face all the time. He's gentle. He's kind. These are all qualities we'd look for in a human being if we were going to marry him and live with him for the rest of our lives, wouldn't we? Goodness. Just plain old goodness. Not evil, but good. Faith. Oh, uh, which is essentially trust. Meekness, 
Not full of vanity, ego, pride, but meek, like a little child. And temperate in all things, as he tells us to be, moderate or temperate. Against such, there is no law. Those are all qualities we would look for. Well, this one who's offered us his hand in marriage is all those things. He is all those things. Now let's go to Daniel. Let's see, wait a minute. Is that where I want to go next? Yeah, to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. And here let's pick it up in verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Christ goes about the universe in a chariot of brilliance beyond what we can comprehend. And his presence is glorious. His garments, his conduct are resplendent in whiteness and purity. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, not mealy mouth by any means. Thousands of thousands, thousand thousands or millions, ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Talk about somebody with power, of influence, and so righteous and so holy that he has been granted the opportunity to judge every human being who's ever lived. And his judgment will matter. You wanted a man who's successful, maybe? (laughs) How more successful can you get? Where you judge every human being who has ever lived. We try, don't we? And our judgment falls short. But here's one who can do it, and do it in righteousness. What an incredible husband to be. And you can be his queen, sitting beside him as he makes his judgments. Because... When he comes back and his saints with him, they will ever be with him, Jude says. So when he sits and comes in this chariot of gold and fire, you will be with him. And he will never leave you again. You will always be with him no matter where he goes. He left you behind to go prepare this place and give you an opportunity to be ready to be his bride. And when he comes back, it won't just be him there. You'll be sitting beside him as he makes judgments on everyone. Ever with him. 1 Corinthians 10. And here, verse 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, 
but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Here is a husband who will recognize your weakness. He will recognize your foibles. He will recognize your mistakes. He will recognize your temptations. And nothing will happen that he is not capable of giving you the capacity to overcome it, to change it, to fix it, not to do it. (coughs) He's the problem solver. He can fix anything, even you and me. It's a tall order, and no one else can do it, but he can. Isn't that incredible to consider? A husband who has the answers. We as human beings and men on the earth can see our wives cry. We can see them sorrowful or upset or frustrated or angry. And often we don't know the answer. We can try to comfort, we can try to help, but sometimes we just fall short of being able to be the comfort we'd like to be or to help them with whatever they're struggling with. We fall short. But he doesn't. He won't. He can't. It's beyond him. And he's promised that he will give us whatever help we need to get the job done. We have to call and ask and do our part, but he's going to do it. Go to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. And here, uh, I want verse 13. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. There's your husband. The glory that he has. I think we, by now, have probably surpassed everything that you dreamed of as a child. About a mate that you would have. It's way beyond anything we can imagine. Revelation 1, verse 14. Well, 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, right in the middle of the church, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the chest with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his flames were as a flame of fire. His personality is right there in his eyes. We've always liked to see someone who had sparkly eyes, the brightness of intelligence as you looked at their eyes. You see it sometimes on the earth, not as often as we might like. We see dull and vacuous a lot of times. But here's someone whose eyes glisten and gleam and shine. And his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Very pleasant, can be rumbling, can be deep, 
can be powerful, can be soothing. Waters can be a torrent, waves crashing in anger, or they can be very gentle. Water can take many different personalities as it moves through rivers and creeks and seas and so on. And he has all those qualities in his. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shines in his strength. Never a man who had that kind of glory and presence and power. I have just a few more. Let's go back to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. I could have chosen hundreds, perhaps thousands of passages to give this sermon. I just picked out some here and there that uh, I found. But Psalm 24 is a pretty good one. The earth is the eternal's. There's a man with a lot of land, a lot of real estate, quite wealthy. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything. He owns everything. Can't find a husband around here that has that. He got everything. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Not only does he own it, he made it. How creative, how artistic, how powerful, how wonderful. They could conceive, plan, draw up, and then create all the beauty we see around us. <coughs> who shall ascend into the hill of the eternal? Or who shall stand in his holy place? I mean, this, it is such a, an awe-inspiring place. Who can stand there? Who could go there? Who could qualify? <coughs> He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the eternal and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God can impart righteousness. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek your face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be you lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. We sing that. The King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory, it says. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. So be it. Not just a knight in shining armor, but the king of glory as your husband-to-be. Let's turn for a moment to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 35. page over here. Who shall separate us from this love of Christ, or the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? All those things that can happen on the earth, and which are beginning to happen more and more 
day by day and week by week. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The depth and the breadth and the power of his love. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creation or creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Emmanuel, our Lord. His love is undying. It is eternal and forever. He will never, ever quit loving us. How much security do you need? How much do you want? How much is available? Forevermore. You cannot be separated from his love. 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. So any little hurt, any little need, any big one that you have, you're to cast your care on him, knowing he loves you so much that he cares for you, and he will take care of you. There's nothing on this earth we just read in Romans that can separate us from his love. No matter what we are, what we've been, what we've done, he still loves us. And that's an undying love. Even if he has to destroy some at the end when there will be gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth, it will be a sacrifice of love because he would not want you to live forever in hate and misery and despite and anger and frustration. Those are things that are going away. They are things that will not survive. And if we have those things, we need to be getting rid of them now because they will not be allowed in the kingdom of God. All these human attitudes and judgments that we have are going away. They will not survive. They are not godly. They are not like Him. They are opposite of Him. So He tells us here what He is, and therefore what we need to be, is just like Him, to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ, and to think as He thought and thinks. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Emmanuel. Think like him. Be like him. And he will invite you to live with him forever and ever. I could go on. He wants children. Several scriptures talk about that. Let me read a couple. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Uh, verse 20. Most girls dream about having children. Most men want children. Isaiah 49:20. The children which you shall have, shall have, after you have lost the other. And the church has lost a lot of children. But we'll have others. Both here on this earth when he gathers them and in the world tomorrow. Shall say again in your ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shall you say in your heart, Who has begotten me these, saying, I have lost my children and desolate 
a desolate captive, and removing to and fro. And who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? So while we have been desolate and scattered and splintered, God is going to begin to regather, to join, to build, instead of allow Satan to destroy and take us apart. Satan is the destroyer. Christ is the uniter, the builder, the peacemaker. And that is coming. He's going to give us children that we did not even have, didn't think about. Chapter 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, that you did not bear, or you that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you that did not travail with children. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Eternal. So he promises an abundance of children. Big, happy family. But he wants children, he wants them badly. Chapter 66, verse 8 of Isaiah. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. God is going to bring it together very, very quickly. It, will, it won't be one kid at a time. It's going to happen very quickly. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Eternal? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn her. Well, God's going to restore Jerusalem, Zion, the church and even the physical place that the people will gather together as the children of God. Let's see one more in uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37 <coughs> and verse 35. There aren't 35. Who wrote that down? I guess I'm still a man with... 25, maybe, I wrote. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. So children and grandchildren, Christ and his bride will have through the millennium, through the great white throne judgment, and the end of his kingdom will never come. So it's forever with children and grandchildren. So we'll be very, very productive as the wife of Christ. I could probably go on and on, as I said, with many, many scriptures which indicate how great, how powerful, how glorious, how wonderful he is. And that there's no shadow of turning in him that he is perfect in every way. Beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations is the bridegroom to come that has been offered to us. We have been proposed to. We have been given opportunity to marry the Lamb, the Son of God, and to live forever and ever in glory as the king, Queen of the universe. Absolute perfection. I'll stop there.
and we'll pick up another aspect of this next week, God willing.